You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today, we are in Sestola. Where are we, Daniel? Uh, Daniele Friberencini Frappuccino. Frappuccino. Um, we are high in the Apennines. We were even higher earlier because in Sestola we were just under the sort of lid, under the hood of one of the highest mountains. I think it's the highest mountain in the northern Apennines, Monte Cimone. Did you see any marmots today? It's famous for its marmots, no. that mountain. No, did not see any. I wasn't looking out for any, to be fair. One might have passed under my nose and I wouldn't even have noticed it. Also famous for Alberto Tomba's legacy. We talked about that yesterday, didn't we? The great Italian skier. We didn't get to the Alberto Tomba Museum, which I was disappointed about. Well, we had another mission today, didn't we? We did. However, there's a there's an Alberto Tomba link that is coming later, if I remember. Well, it's no longer Alberto Tomba's mountain. It is Joe Dombrowski's mountain now. Friend of the podcast, Joe Dombrowski, finally took that... Giro stage win. He's, he's practically contributed more hours of the cycling podcast Certainly than I you. have. Yeah, <laughs> he has. Yeah, it was a fantastic win by Joe. We'll get on to that. If only for one thing, that he's still at 29, referred to most often as former baby Giro winner. And he's been certainly at the Giro threatening to to win a stage for a few years now. The year he kept an audio diary for us in 2016, he went pretty close in the final week. We spoke to him yesterday morning, Daniel, didn't we? And and we said, you know, you must be looking forward to the final week. That's usually when we see him at his best. Not on days like today, but a terrific win for him. We're trying to get in touch with, with Joe. Hopefully we'll hear from him in this episode. He's snubbing us. Not the only person who snubbed us today. No, no, we'll get onto that as well. Yeah, it was a very interesting, uh, from the ridiculous to the sublime, few really, surprises. today, wasn't it? <laughs> a few um, surprises today. Yeah, yeah, we'll get onto that. We'll get onto that. Um, but did you say where we specifically are just now, Daniel, when I asked the question? I did, I did not, Richard. I mean, we're in a very nice spot, aren't we? <laughs> that narrows it down. <laughs> well, I'm well we're, in the, we're, in the Apennines, um, we're in the Apennines, high above um, Modena, yeah, a place called the Gelso Country Resort, I think it's called. Um, name the village I will find and I will supply forthwith, Richard. What? <laughs> What? I will give you the name of where we are um, later in the Oh, later episode. in the episode. All right, another cliffhanger. Um, shall, I do the ta- <laughs> shall I do the tale of the tapa? Yes, Richard. We started in uh, Piacenza, uh, and we went to Sestola, as you said. A horrible day. Rainy. I mean, the rain was torrential. It was cold. It was miserable. But a 25-man break went clear uh, near the start. Lots of riders in there. A few teams missed out. Astana mustered themselves at the front and put in a bit of a chase briefly but not really it didn't really matter to them wouldn't have taken much would it to get i mean what was the time gap at the finish what did um, dombrowski win over the gc guys it was only it was a minute and a half minutes. or yeah, so yeah it was yeah. under a couple of minutes so wouldn't have taken too much more too much help for astana to reel it in no it wouldn't um it did come i mean that was a very very tough uh, climb in the end and Lots of gaps were closed and, and some gaps opened up indeed on, on some of the one or two of the GC riders today. But that 25-man break included Nelson Oliveira of Movistar, who was closest to the pink jersey. And 
for much of the day was the virtual pink jersey uh, until Ryan Taramai and Chris Yuliensen uh, went clear. And then Taramai was the virtual pink jersey. He rides for Intermarche, who won the stage uh, yesterday, of course. So they're having a good Giro so far. And it looked really good for uh, Taramai and Yuliensen for a long time. Um, they had a, they held it over over a minute, but on that last kind of Colle Passerino, it was really really difficult. I mean, I think the average gradient was over nine percent. It was sixteen percent in places. It was really tough, and the gap just closed down completely there. Uh, Alessandro De Marchi was putting in uh, quite a lot of work behind. He uh, took Joe Dombrowski clear with him. Oliveira was with them for a bit as well. But as the slope steepened, Dombrowski got away from. DeMarkey and held him off. DeMarkey, though, took the pink jersey. And uh, for him, that was a tremendous result. He's a veteran Italian rider who's had a lot of uh, bad luck and terrible injuries as well. His last win was 2018, the Giro dell'Emilia. Had a terrible crash in the 2019 Tour de France. Then, just as he was about to come back in 2020, start racing again, um, while the pandemic hit. So that was a further setback and as you say rich i well uh, a very sort of intrepid or adventurous rider when it comes to getting breakaways he's had a lot of success in in weather like today's actually i remember a stage of the world tour a few years ago um when we finished in galicia and he won that stage and the conditions were similar it rained pretty much all day he sort of thrives on that he rides with a real scowl on his face, doesn't he? But he's actually quite a He's a bit of a throwback. Um, he was one of the favourite riders of um, Gianni Mura Punto, um, the late um, lamented Gianni Mura, who of course died last year. We talked about him quite a lot in last year's podcast. A real purist, a real cycling romantic Mura was, and one of the few riders that he felt he could still identify with and sort of celebrate was Alessandro De Marchi. Well, he's in the pink jersey, which is a great story. Um, also, also, I mean, some people are going are gonna to wince at this, but there's another wine link because oh, Alessandro no. De Marchi puts his, not so much his name, but his nickname to a, a wine. His nickname is the Rosso di Buia. Buia is a place, well, the place he hails from, but it's a strange place that doesn't really exist. It's actually a collection of these tiny little hamlets, Località, Frazioni, Frazioni, they call them in, in Italian. And do you know what one of them's called, Rich? One of the 49? It's of course called, I don't. It's called Tomba. Oh, There's like, the link. There we are. Uh, well, DeMarchi, 34 now, uh, riding for Israel Startup Nation now. And he is uh, in the pink jersey, ahead of Joe Dombrowski, up to second. Um, Louis Vervec is third. Alps and Fenix, they're having a great Giro as well. Uh, in the points jersey, the Chiclamina jersey, still Tim Merlier. And in the King of the Mountains jersey, Joe Dombrowski. So he's pretty close to the pink jersey, and he's in the Mountains jersey. Um, behind, there was... a there were skirmishes, weren't there, among the GC riders? Um, Mikel Landa, he had his team doing quite a lot of work. Pope today. Landa, um, Pope Landa, as we now refer to him Pope for Landa. reasons that will be revealed later <laughs> in the podcast. Pope Landa had a go. Um, he had his team again. We've seen this from Landa. He's, he, he, you know, he likes to make these statements with his team. Got them to the front. They did a lot of work. He attacked and really drew some of the other GC riders away with him. Um, I think 
Alexander Vlasov was there. Egan Bernal looked very good indeed. And Hugh Carthy as well looked strong and joined them. Giulio Ciccone was with those guys too. Um, and so there were you know, some, some riders, some fancied riders, not quite able to go with that move. What does that mean? We don't know. The big loser was Joao Almeida, the kind of quick-step rider who spent so long, of course, last year in the pink jersey. He lost 5.58 to Dombrowski. So about four and a half minutes to the other GC riders, which is pretty catastrophic for him. George Bennett, a minute and a half down on uh, most of the GC riders too. Behind the Vlasov, Landa, Carthy, Bernal uh, group, um, Remco Evenepoel, he lost 11 seconds to those guys, along with Simon Yates, Dan Martin, Davide Formolo. Not disastrous for those at all. A little bit further back, uh, were Buchmann, Sivakov, Hindley, Soler and Martinez. But yeah, Almeida, the big loser. Um, the others all pretty close together. There were some significant losers though, weren't there? Um, to the extent that Almeida, you'd have to say, he, he's out of it. Um, Game over. Un- unless he's got a sort of general classification challenge a la Atapuma in mind. Um, it's surprising because as you said, Daniel, that that time trial... Um, short as it was, is a good indicator of form, and Almeida looked in terrific form. It's surprising. I don't know. We'll, we'll hear from James Knox, our audio diarist, a little bit later in the episode. He may be able to enlighten us. He finished with Almeida today. I spoke to someone at the finish on in uh, a team. Um, I'm not going to be more specific than that. Who noted that the quick set rides looked very cold today? Everyone looked very cold, including they looked particularly me. cold. You didn't look cold. You were wearing a t-shirt for much of the day. What's wrong with you? An Andre Agassi t-shirt, I think, again. No, it was a Roger Federer t-shirt, Richard. Have you got a different tennis player t-shirt for I've every day? I've got a day? few. I've got an Ivan Lendl, which were one which I'll unfurl. Lendl, of course, was my favourite. Yeah, that's a good one. I like it. Let's hear from Nicky Sorensen, shall we? Sports director at Israel Startup Nation. Their rider, uh, Alessandro DeMarchi, now in the pink jersey. Quite a day for your team. What, yep. will, it, what will it mean to Alessandro to wear the... The, the jersey of his national tour being Italian and uh, and also a, a historic moment for for our team I, I, I can imagine he cannot be more proud also the whole team were very proud of it Demarki had it in his mind all from yesterday that it could be a good moment today to go and uh, and take the jersey and we talked about it and uh, he executed so um, what well, we saw I mean he did a very strong time trial on Saturday was it already something he was thinking about as a possibility then it was one of the he, he did a, a good uh, a TT so uh, it, it was one of the things we, we thought about we have uh, the objective from the beginning and we still do uh, going for GC with Dan but at the same time breakaways okay. also and he's uh, been through some tough times as well hasn't he Alessandro to come back at, at his age and with his kind of career behind him this is a, a fantastic moment for him I would think I've never known Alessandro before but I've always admired him from seeing him right his willpower you see it from far away that he has a very strong willpower he has a the right qualities of, of, of the toughness and everything and, and it also shows today and we're going to see more of it in, in, uh, in the coming two years, I'm sure. Still gassing and fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast. 
powered by Super Sapiens. Super Sapiens founder Phil Sutherland, who is a type 1 diabetic, founded Team Type 1 in 2005 with $400, enough to buy some t-shirts and business cards. Immediately, he set his sights on a challenge. Do something big. Ride your bikes across America to make a statement. I just graduated college, 70 grand in debt. I didn't have a month to get across the country. So what about RAM? Race across America. Around the same time, Phil took part in a clinical trial for an early version of Abbott's continuous glucose monitoring system. The Abbott Libra Sense Biosensor is the tech that sends glucose data to the Super Sapiens app today. In 20 days of seeing what everything did to my body, I learned more about diabetes control than in the previous 23 years of truly obsessing. Checking 20 times a day, diabetes was the one thing I could always control. This monitor was like, wow, I have to have this. We're going to race across America. So I went to my doctor. I said, uh, Dr. Bodie, you know, I need this technology when we do RAM. You know, we can't die in the middle of the country. That's not the signal we're, we're aiming to send. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll introduce to Abbott. They'll, they'll sponsor your team. Well, Daniel, uh, we've been watching Joe Dombrowski at the, the Giro for a few years now, and he's often been guilty of, of, of mistiming his efforts. They got it just right. DeMarkey at the finish actually said that when Yul Jensen and Taramai were, were up the road, he, he thought he'd he'd lost, he thought it had gone. But this, this was such a tough day today that there was always a chance, especially with that really hard finish, that it was going to come back. And he said his, you know, nev- never give up and, and keep keep going. And, and it paid off for him and it paid off for Dombrowski as well. I suppose the one thing that surprised us about Dombrowski's performance was that it came in the first rather than the third week because traditionally he's gone very well in the third week. He's really come into his own. And, you know, there is this, I suppose, unfortunate precedent for him of having such a, having had such a stellar amateur career and we keep, everyone keeps... Uh, mentioning it and alluding to it all the time. There was a big bidding war when he did turn professional. I remember Liquid Gas really wanted him. He ended up going to Team Sky. You know, in the third week of multiple Grand Tours, we've seen, I suppose, what we we thought Joe Dombrowski's potential, what we've always thought Joe Dombrowski's potential has always been. There was a lot of talk in the first two or three years of his career about his lack of sort of race craft, which was through no fault of his own. It was a result of the fact that he'd he'd grown up as a cyclist in the United States and and, you know, on wide roads where it's easy to move around the Peloton and that's a huge element of racing in Europe, isn't it? And, you know, the sort of general impression that most people had, uh, whether this was right or wrong, probably Joe will, would be able to tell us, but was that he, he lost a lot of energy simply finding his way in the bunch and, and negotiating his way around a race. Well, he's spoken about that with us. I mean, we've done a few episodes with him. And in fact, they've all been put on the Friends feed tonight. So if you sign up as a Friends of the podcast, you can listen back to the Young Americans episode with him, Larry Warbass, and Ian Boswell from 2016. Also, the audio diary that Joe kept for us at the 2016 Giro. Very whimsical it was. Um, not- he's, also, he's also a writer whose image has suffered from the fact that he's so, I mean, he's so sort of affable and laid back. And, you know, he, he often would, would give people the mistaken impression that he cares less than someone who was a bit more uptight. Whereas, you know, that is a, a, an entirely, a purely superficial and, and probably distorted impression. Yeah, I mean, I first met him at the Tour of Oman in 2013 when he just signed for Team Sky. Um, Chris Froome was riding that race, so he and you know Ian Boswell were really in at the deep end. And he had a lot to learn about riding in r- races on these narrow roads. That not, Tour of Oman, not the best example, but 
you know, even just the, the jobs that you have to do as a domestic going and getting musettes or bottles or things like that. Um, there was a lot for him to learn. This is this was today was his first professional win in Europe. Um, the, he's won the Tour of Utah, but he's never won a race in in Europe. Yeah, all of that's true. I mean, he he had a few years at Team Sky, went to uh, the team that is now EF, and uh, I wouldn't say they were lost years at all because I think he he came on a bit. But um, there were a few shortcomings identified in terms of I mean, you could even see today he's not the most aerodynamic of riders either he's tall and he's a very lightly built but he's quite ungainly really uh, you know he's great going uphill but not not um, very aerodynamic in his shape at all you know he was always gonna if he was gonna win a race like in one of these races it was always gonna be with a a climb at the end and it did look today like DeMarkey was maybe gaining on him a little bit. And it wasn't quite a summit finish. There was a, a, a little false flat at the end. But he held on. He did very well. And um, he really pressed home the advantage when he could on these really steep slopes. He's in the King of the Mountains jersey now. Fight for pink now in a manner, in in the manner that the um, RCS marketing people would approve of? You know, it, it was, it's been strange the last couple of years to see him at that team, UAE Team Emirates. It hasn't seemed a natural fit in the way that EF did seem like a natural fit for him but things didn't really work out for him all that well there it's great that he's got this win I, I think personally he's always been a really interesting writer to talk to he's got uh, interesting things to say and uh, well we're looking forward to speaking to him again well talking about interesting writers to speak to and uh, Demarki is a bit of a, a darling of the journalist because he's one of these guys who is not afraid to voice his opinion um, he's a very sort of socially conscious writer I think sometimes He's been regarded um, on social media particularly as quite political. Um, there was a post, there were, there were some posts about, well, it was about safety and road safety actually and cyclists and motorists, you know, keeping their distance. Um, last year where someone replied, and Alessandro brought this up in interviews thereafter, someone replied, you're just a, a radical chic communist. And um, Demarkey, I mean, possibly road safety doesn't seem that radical. No, and Demarkey was um, well. He, he pointed out that you know this this didn't betray any kind of party, sort of political party leaning. Um, it was just it was just common sense. And he's a bit like and, Trenton, isn't he, Matteo Trenton? In, yes, in his, in his, yes. In his but if he was a, a you know a radical, what, what did I say? A, communist. A, a radical co- chic communist. Um, today would have been the perfect place for him to take the pink jersey because we're in the red belt of Italy. The Emilia region is famous for its um, very left wing political leanings. We covered that in our Bologna episodes a couple of years ago, didn't we? I we were we near Bologna yeah. uh, today. Um, um, the yeah. Marchi, I should also say that the Marchi is keeping an audio diary for our friends at. Bidon, who are doing the official Giro d'Italia podcast, which is absolutely excellent. And um, he's been most excited thus far in the Giro about the fact, well, he's got a new house and he's getting updates every day from his wife, Anna, who's also an uh, an avid, a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, quite a diehard Bruce Springsteen fan, I'm led to believe. Anyway, he's been getting updates from her about how the grass is growing um, in the garden of their new house, and he was very excited yesterday because his wife had told him that the grass was looking splendid. I mean, this—I mean—is that what the kind of stuff he's, he's, he's talking about in his audio diary? Sign him up for next uh, grand tour. Anyway, uh, we'll hear from our audio diarist in a moment or two. One on, of our two audio diaries. One of our two audio diaries. We'll hear from the other one a bit later on. Uh, but behind those two, uh, what did we learn today from the GC riders, Daniel? I thought Bernal looked 
um, splendid is he looked as splendid as Demarcus Grass. I thought. <laughs> well, it was one of what I should I should also point point out that when I first heard the reference to Demarcus Grass, I thought there was some kind of coded metaphor here. And um, and one of the hosts of the Giro the um, Bidon podcast assures me that he wasn't talking about marijuana. Definitely not, um, or indeed any other kind of metaphor. He was actually talking about the lawn. Um, <laughs> Glad you cleared that up. Yes, hadn't occurred to me. Yes, and um, what was the question, Richard? Uh, what did we learn of the? What GC did we learn? Learners? Well, um, as as I said earlier, I think um, we learned that Yao Almeida is not going to win the Giro's. Sadly for him, um, George Bennett also suffered. He lost over three minutes. Well, he was three minutes behind the the stage winner, wasn't he? So, I mean, it was that classic kind of day when even, you know, if we'd asked people this morning, they would have told us that we wouldn't learn who was going to win the Giro, but we was we would learn who could not win the Giro. And that was the case, really, wasn't it? Vincenzo Nibali's not going to win the Giro. No, but I think we knew that. I, mean, I actually was quite pleasantly surprised by how well he went today. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's... it's Well, we'll hear from James Knox in a moment. He talks a bit about... Um, Evanapol, and he is the leader of that of that team now. You know they've they've come in uh, with an open mind about Almeida and uh, Evanapol about who would lead the team. Evanapol has not raced for nine months, so a lot of uncertainty around him. And I, I thought today was pretty inconclusive as far as as he was concerned. He's the subject as well of our kilometer zero tomorrow. That will come out tomorrow morning. Um, but James Knox did a lot of work. I mean, they couldn't quick step did quite a lot of work today um they are here at this giro without a sprinter first time in living memory to kind quick step have gone to a grand tour without a sprinter he's i must say james knox is turning into a hell of a rider isn't he a hell of a sort of support um sort of false nine number 10 kind of behind the striker you know he's the guy who on the penultimate climb or and um, from much of the way up the final climb kind of tees up uh, the leaders in that team, and he's um, doing an increasingly impressive job. Right? He's increasingly visible, isn't he? And he was very visible today. Let's hear from him. Yeah, I reckon I've been playing down the Giro the last couple of days. Come back to bite me in the arse today. That was pretty hard, pretty wet, pretty miserable. Yeah, shit, that was just a really hard day, to be honest. Big break went kind of out of nowhere. We just came into, uh, was it like uh, Vicenza or somewhere? And uh, through some of the roundabouts, yeah, big group went. Uh, thankfully, we had Steri in there, but... To be honest, I didn't really know what was happening. I had that much spray on my glasses and my eyes. I was just cowering in the middle of the bunch, just hoping it to be over, to be honest. I was pretty hating life at the start, flapping around, getting pissed on, counting down the Ks, and there was a long way to go. But did get in, into it, to be honest. Yeah, there was a bit of stress. Obviously, these wet days, uh, especially those roads in the Apennines, not so easy. can be pretty shit, to be honest. Dodgy roads, hairy descents and that. So sort of spent a bit of legs keeping... Remco and Chao in the front there, the last 50k or so. Had a little bit of a word with them in the middle of the stage and sort of said probably no use of me being there on the last climb if it all kicks off, but spend a bit of legs, keep you in the front out of trouble in those, uh, in those sections before. So that's what we did. And I think we did a pretty good job of keeping them out of trouble. Obviously, in the end, it was a bit of a disaster today for Joao. Don't think there's any excuses or anything, just didn't have the legs. So obviously, that's a big disappointment. Thankfully, we have Remco, who, yeah, went pretty well. Couldn't follow the best guys there, but on a pretty short, punchy, explosive finish there in the wet and the cold, that's not a disaster, really. You know, he didn't lose too much time, you think. In fact, he's sort of quite happy that he was setting his own tempo, um, not killing himself trying to follow them. And yeah, only lost 10 seconds. So really, can't complain. Was a hard day. Was a nervous day. And yeah, 
Um, Demarkey has the pink now. I haven't actually looked at the classment, but I presume he has quite a decent gap. So that's probably going to be on his back or one of the other guys doing the breakaway, you know, for the next, you know, potentially even the next week, really. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Riding the race across America with a continuous glucose monitoring system wasn't just a neat gadget for Phil Sutherland and his team. It turned out to be a piece of tech that saved his life after a simple fueling error. We got the CGM the day before the race across America in 2006. You know, day one, eight hours, we're figuring things out. We fell behind Team Vale Beaver Creek and another team. That first night, uh, our nutritionist, you know, he was supposed to give us 100 grams of carbs. We gave insulin for 100 grams of carbs gave us 25. And the body's insulin resistant right after exercise. So we didn't notice that we only had been heavily underfueled. But once we went to sleep and the insulin resistance picked up, all of us crashed at the same time. And if you were in the RV that night, you would have heard beep, 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 throughout the whole course of the night. The product that night saved our lives. If it wasn't for having CGM, there would have been four dead diabetics in Arizona the world of empowerment for diabetes today would be a whole lot different. For people with diabetes, fueling strategy matters to the gram of carbohydrate. But effective fueling impacts on everyone's performance, and Super Sapiens can help you improve your energy management too. You can win a three-month supply of Super Sapiens biosensors to track your glucose, master your fueling, and optimize your training and recovery. Enter our competition at thecyclingpodcast.com. Well, Daniel, Hugh Carthy was a, a rider who impressed today. Um, you know, he's not perhaps been in the forefront of our minds when we think about overall contenders here, but he rode very, very well. He bridged up to that little group once Bernal had made his move and uh, rode very strongly. You spoke to him at the start this morning. I did, Rich. I spoke to him in Piacenza, lovely Piacenza, one of, what is it, the sort of first or second in this gorgeous line of, of fantastic towns that um, sort of... The, the border between the Po Basin and the Apennine Mountains. So you go sort of Piacenza, Parma, Reggio Emilia, Modena. All absolutely gorgeous if you're ever in Italy. And um, it was quite a it was quite a lovely setting, wasn't it, for the start and our mix zone today in um, the piazza in Piacenza. And yes, I did speak to Hugh Carthy. Well, just generally, um, how has the prep been for this Giro? Because not many people have talked about you, but they weren't talking about you really at the Vuelta either. No, uh, preparation's been good. Been racing a lot, not done any altitude camps or anything like that. Just stayed at home and raced and rested. So I come here in the same mentality. I'm no real pressure, but I'm looking to do something good. Have you done many recons? Because that's one thing that's been affected by the pandemic. A lot of guys haven't been able to do those. No, I haven't done any recons. We didn't come to Italy, but we're pretty prepared. We've done, we've done our work at home with the gravel and stuff. and. Try to replicate the conditions and prepare their bike and things. Yeah, I think now with the Veloviewer and the computers, you don't come into the recon. Sometimes can be a bit of a waste of time when you're at the races. You're going different speed and the road service has changed. The retarmacked it and it's totally different to how you did it in, in March. So, no, we haven't done any recons physically, but uh, I don't feel we're underprepared. The fact that you signed a new contract recently, has that sort of made you feel more secure, more serene? Or was it a, a foregone conclusion as far as you were concerned anyway? No, it makes you feel, yeah, like you say, a bit more, a bit more calm. But no, I don't think it's changed me at all. I think even before I signed my contract, I was feeling the same. Any Italian biscuits yet? Any cantuccini, maybe? No, no biscuits just yet. Not yet.
Well, Rich, um, died a thousand deaths there with my attempts to engage Hugh Carthy on the issue of biscuits because Hugh Carthy, as as everyone probably knows, and you can tell from that interview, um, he's an he's an interesting, quirky sort of character who doesn't really suffer fools, but occasionally, you know. Um, he lets his guard drop, and particularly when it's something quite left field. And on the Vuelta last year, I had a bit of a, a running thing going with him about biscuits. I can't remember how that arose, but it did. And um, yeah, this was in in my I, interviews for ITV, um, and he, he wasn't biting at all today. I thought I could at least raise a smile, um, but no. Maybe it's different when you've got a, a big, big fancy TV camera behind you. There you go. That's I'll be one Instead of a rinky, rinky the, dinky little, he, he lights up for the camera. Zoom recorder. Yeah, um, but he, I, did, he he read very well today, didn't he? He and did. There are, you know, he said there that there are echoes, at least in his mind, from or of how he prepared for last year's welter, and that was pretty low key. Again, he went under the radar. There feels the same again. In hindsight, just listening back to that interview, I think that the confidence sort of. Well, it doesn't exactly ooze, but you can certainly detect it because Carthy's never going to be the sort of um, rider who's going to come into the mix zone thumping his chest, is he? Not many do, to be not fair. Not many, not many. Although Remco Evenepoel yeah, came sort of through this morning. In, isn't he? He, he's a very confident young man, isn't he? Yeah. But we'll hear about him. Well, like Billy the Kid sort of air around does, about him. He does, yeah. And it is one of the great, sort of questions around at this Giro what what do we expect from Remco Evenepoel and we will well we'll try to answer that in tomorrow's Kilometre Zero um, which will be out in the morning you also spoke at the finish to Matt Winston Daniel. well I did Rich because you know we're talking about this sort of second tier of riders maybe not the the, the um, number one or the, the first group of favourites for overall victory but there are a lot of well I alluded to yesterday didn't I the fact that a lot of teams have come into this Giro thinking that they might just have a little chance um, of winning the overall or finishing on the podium. Um, there are probably five or six teams in that category that, um, you know, again, aren't necessarily, don't necessarily have one of the major favourites. And DSM would be among them, wouldn't they? Because they've got Jai Hindley and they've got Roman Bardet, who Roman Bardet has been really written off, I suppose, as a GC contender, partly because of a a couple of uh, ill-fated Tour de France campaigns, but he actually was the better of the two today. He rode well today. Yeah, um, he came in with which with group, With Ibn and Simon Yates. With? Um, so 148 down on, when just 11 seconds down on the, the little group of uh, other GC favourites just ahead of them, the Bernal group. And Jai Hindley just... Just behind. Just behind, and he, of course, was the breakout star yeah, of last year. another, year's another Giro, 20 seconds. Nearly won the race, but... You know, there was there was certainly no alarm in the DSM camp tonight. Um, as we'll hear now from Matt Winston, the team. What do they call them? They've, they've they got a special name. Sports director. Are they, they were sports directors? Banana sports okay. directors. Matt, that looked like a pretty brutal day. Um, you know, rain all day. You from the car usually get a sense of how much people are suffering, how cold they are. How how was that sense today? It was 14 degrees, which I think has saved a lot of people because. Everyone is pretty cold now at the finish, and if that was five degrees, we were maybe a bit more in the mountains, and I think we'd get a, we would have had a lot of riders today that maybe even would have struggled to finish there because it's just full gas rain all day, hard start, headwind start, and then kind of it's just constantly in and out of little lanes, and when it's pouring like that, it's really hard to get the momentum and keep the body warm. So 
I think the fact that the air temperature is a little bit higher probably has saved quite some guys. We always talk about when it rains, some guys being up for it and other guys sort of switching off straight away. But how does it affect the recovery um, in the first week of a, a Grand Tour? How's it going to affect them in, you know, when we get to week two, week three? If we get a, a, a week of rain almost every day, which is pretty much forecast. Yeah, I think it definitely takes its toll. Some people do react better to it, but I think, yeah, as kind of like a, as a race, it'll definitely kind of wear them down uh, a lot more in the first 10 days than if it's 18 degrees and everyone's cruising around in shorts and jersey. I think we have to just kind of try and adapt to it. You know, like clothing plays a lot to do with it now. And kind of that's why also at, at Team DSM, we're trying to develop our own range of clothing um, to, to try and combat those things and working with DSM to, to really look after the rider's body and kind of make sure they can go through day to day in back-to-back -back bad conditions, really. And give me some hot takes on, on the day. How was Ramat? How was Jai? And, and what did you make of the others, really? Um, a lot of guys came into this race thinking they could maybe win, drawn a few conclusions, but maybe not too many. The race is probably going to be one in, I don't know, maybe 173 hours of racing or something, and we've done 13 hours now. So... There's, you start to see a little bit of a picture, but I think kind of on a day like today, 10 seconds here, 10 seconds there, it can it can fluctuate a lot in the first maybe 10 days where it's kind of going up and down for people. And both guys kind of feel okay, cold, wet, obviously, but they both came through the day with, with okay sensations. So for us, I think we can build on this, especially into week two and week three. You chastised me a minute ago for not picking any DSM riders in my 18. I don't think I've picked any in the th four stages, um, so it'll be full of them tomorrow. But... And that suggests you think Ramat and Jai are in good form and good enough to to realise your goals here. Yeah, exactly. We've come and we made we kind of come and said we're we're going for for GC. We've got two world class GC riders. Yeah, I think we can really build on on that now, and and we can we can start to go for it. Yeah, and the fact that you leave us off your predictions, we'll we'll ignore that. But it's a good by, omen, I would say. Yeah, hopefully by week three, that's uh, going to pay us back. Well, Rich, a very disgruntled. Well, not not very disgruntled. Slightly miffed. Matt Winston, um, obviously paying attention to my blow every morning when he when he when he opens up Twitter, Twitter and, and, yeah, and sees, sees whether Daniel's chopped or as we're calling it. And, um, and I I should point out that um, I remember including Max Cantor, the German sprinter or sprinter sort of you know, fast time trialist, in my 18 for stage one in Torino, and he didn't let me down. And well, you maybe don't want to dwell too much on your predictions today, Daniel. Um, with a 25-man group going up the road, none of your picks in it. I don't think you had a great day, did you? Although I haven't done the math yet. We'll check it later, but I'm sure um, you ended up because that that group behind Bernal, led in by Bernal, was uh, he was 11th on the stage. So you will have got you'll have got a few points today, but not many. A low-scoring day for you. Well, Rich, we've got another diarist to introduce as well our second diarist haven't we Gino Maida we, we introduced no we introduced him last night didn't we but um, we're going to hear from Gino for the first time this evening he had a very good performance today for Bahrain Victorious um, as we've seen them do on numerous occasions over the last couple of years they really kind of took control or to they, the race by the scruff of the they, they did at a certain point um, heading into the finale and Gino was very instrumental in that but um, let's hear from him a little bit about what he's hoping for what he's expecting from this Giro d'Italia. Hi everybody, Gino Medir. Personal ambitions, typical with Swiss. Being in Italy, having Vatican, Vatican having the Swiss guard. So we like to work for others. This is also where I see myself shining in this, these three weeks. Going to help uh, Mikel as, as long as possible, as much as possible and learn a, a bunch 
new things for me as well and see how a big leader is approaching a three weeks race. Basically, Italy for me is uh, the country of coffee, the good lifestyle in Europe, pizza, pasta, coffee. I do not know a lot more about Italy for now, but surely in the next three weeks, I'll have time to, to see some nice parts of, of this country and I'm looking forward to learn a bit about uh, if I get a bit into the country and culture. In, in the end, we are here to work towards one, one big goal and that's um, probably going to be the most consuming for the next days and weeks. So voila, hence Pope Landa, as he Pope will Landa, henceforth be known. Protected by the Swiss guards. Would he make a good pontiff? Mikhail Landa. He's got a sort can of you imagine him on the balcony? In, inscrutability in the... about him, doesn't he? <laughs> can, you ima- can you imagine his? It's a Wednesday address, isn't it? This shows how how good a Catholic I am. <laughs> Is it a Wednesday address at the Vatican? Uh, um, anyway, hmm. can we imagine him on the on the balcony? I can imagine. I can, in all seriousness, imagine Mikhail Landa as the Pope. <laughs> um, definitely, but he's got. A certain air about him. A certain gravitas. Um, Landa, a certain gravitas. And he had a good day today I mean, to bring it back he... to cycling. He looked good. I mean, he looked if... good. The problem with Landa is he's always chasing, isn't he? He's always chasing. He had a bad day in the time trials. He always does. In, in every every GC challenge, uh, and it, you don't even need a time trial, he always has some misfortune. That means he's always chasing, chasing, and chasing. And that makes it hard. He already presides over his own pseudo-religion ideology, the Landismo. Landismo, yeah. Sadly, doesn't um, I don't think he runs the Euskadi team anymore, does he? The Euskadi team. He was forced to um, resign his position because of a conflict of interest because he rides for another team, which is a shame. The Cycling Podcast at Our Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science in Sport. Very grateful to them for their support. And if you want your 25% off all your Science in Sport products, go to scienceinsport.com and enter the code SISCP25. SISCP25. Also visit our website, thecyclingpodcast.com, if you'd like to enter the competition to predict the winner of Sunday's stage. The names who pick the winner, will be, one will be picked at random to win an £80 bundle of science and support goodies. So you can enter that competition at thecyclingpodcast.com. I mentioned earlier, if you sign up as a friend, you can all also get all these episodes that we've released about and with Joe Dombrowski. And uh, if you don't know Joe, um, well, he's definitely worth getting to know through these episodes. We went off the beaten track today, Daniel. I took you off the... I led you, I blindfolded you and led you into the suburbs of Modena. It was very odd. A place called Vignola. Of course, there used to be a race called um, Milano Vignola, which I think has changed the name now and become something else. Um, I forget what it's called. But yeah, what happened, Rich, or... Um, well, you wouldn't tell me where we were going or who we were meeting or whether there'd be food involved. You were cryptic on all these things. And eventually we pulled up in a very unpromising... Uh, kind of shopping complex estate. Yeah, it wasn't exactly the Mall of America, was it? No, it it was like there was a cafe, there was a supermarket, and there was some kind of what looked like a soft play centre. That turned out to be an ice cream parlour. And it was called Choco Loco Crazy Chocolate. And this is where the artist formerly known known as the Cobra, or Ricardo Rico, 
the Italian rider. One, one of your one of your favourites. Well, now uh, does his work. He has become a gelataio, an ice cream maker. We 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 know about this. We'd we'd heard about it. We read about it. He was in Tenerife for a few years, and I think a couple of years ago came back to Italy. And is is a native of the Modena region, and he bought this um, yeah chocoloco that he's called it in uh, Vignola in well the the shopping mall where I took you this afternoon. We were hoping to find the cobra there and see him doing his stuff. explain the cobra for those who don't, who who, who aren't acquainted with him. Notorious doper. Yeah. Ricardo Rico burst onto the scene in, well, 2006. I think he turned professional Sonia Deval. Um, He really tore up numerous races. Tirreno, Adriatico, I think was the first one where he claimed two stages. Then a couple of Giri d'Italia and the Tour de France in 2008. He won famously uh, in the Pyrenees, dropped everyone on the Col d'Aspin and looked, to be honest, as though he could have won that that Tour de France. Um, Was subsequently busted for doping, tested positive for EPO or Chera and came back, but he didn't last long in his second incarnation. Um, He was found to have attempted a bit of a DIY blood transfusion and that was really, well, that was it for Rico, wasn't it? He was kicked out of the sport and he officially he's banned, I think you said until... 2024, I think. I think, I, I think yeah, he could come back in three or four years' time. Um, he's not going to do that, he's said numerous times in the press. And um, he's committed to his present and future as a gelataio, an ice cream maker. And today at Chocoloco... We didn't find him, but we found his wife, Melissa, who runs the gelateria with Ricardo. Even by your standards, Daniel, this This is a bit weird. Ready for your surprise? Well, we're we're in the middle of a little shopping estate center. It's very suburban. There's a, there's a, what looks like a soft play center here. It's lovely, a cafe, um, and we've pulled up, and uh, you've been keeping me waiting here. Oh, it's gelato. I understand. It's not got it. Not a soft play center. It looks like a soft play center, but it's um, there isn't. Uh, there's some big, big stuffed animals, but no so cobra. No cobra, but he might be coming. Wow, um, what an honour, what a thrill. This is Ricardo Rico's gelateria. Not what I expected, I must <laughs> No, but his, his wife is going to speak to us, Rich. Okay. Because she's, um, she's worried that the ice cream's going to melt if she doesn't put it out soon, so... You told me there'd be food. I, 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 I was food. expecting something a bit more substantial you can, you than ice start, cream and cake. You can, you can start selecting your flavour already. Um, Not really what I had in mind for lunch, though. Melissa, tu sei la moglie di Riccardo da alcuni anni, credo, eh, eravate insieme anche a Tenerife, la prima gelateria, eh, come sta andando? Benissimo, grazie. Things are going great, thanks. Despite the pandemic, we were still allowed to open in the winter. We were one of the lucky categories of businesses that didn't actually have to close, so we can't really complain. As for Riccardo, well, he loves making ice cream and he's great at it. I think it's a job that really brings out his creativity. Every day is an excuse for a new flavour, and he loves that aspect of it. Inventing new flavours, using his imagination, I think he finds that all very motivating. We also love making flavours for kids, really rich and sweet stuff. 
Kinder Bueno, Bounty for Rarara Share, that type of thing. Ricardo's absolute specialty, though, is a triple pistachio. A pistachio cream sprinkled with toasted pistachio nuts. Assaggiare, degustare, quale sarebbe? Il triplo pistacchio, sicuramente. Un cremino di pistacchio con sotto un pistacchio 100% e sopra i pezzettini di vero pistacchio tostati. Did she tell you whether uh, Rico will be watching the Giro today? She says, Melissa says he's not particularly interested in watching the Giro, but we can call him later to ask him for his <laughs> That's true, but it doesn't sound like he's going to be making a comeback any point soon. Um, I think he might be winning some ice cream making competitions, though. He's already entered a few. Wow. Well, let's, uh, we'll be the judge of that, won't we? I'll see him. Can I have to see him? Okay. Daniel, are you going to call the Cobra or what? Well, I, I did promise, didn't I? Um, so when, did, when did she say to call? She said any time. She said he'd be absolutely thrilled to <laughs> answer our question. So let's, let's fire him up. Let's fire up the Cobra. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Here he is. Profile picture. Still a riding shot from from his heyday. Taking his time. Disappointed? Sounds Surprised? Good, are they? Surprised for the second time today? Yeah. <laughs> One month. No. Nada. So Rich, I've, I've been looking at my phone expectantly um, ever since we recorded um, all of that earlier and still no, not even a message. You're waiting for, not for even a Ricardo Rico. I'm waiting for Joe Dombrowski here. I have to say, Ricardo Rico's pistachio ice cream packs a hell of a punch. Yes. Oh I mean, I, I, I can still s- taste it now. It's the sweetest ice cream I've ever had. I know. And I said, didn't I, or you said last night, I don't need any sugar really, but I made an exception for the Cobra's pistachio. But there were some wild and wonderful flavors, weren't the there? I mean, we heard Melissa say there that one of his great virtues as an ice cream maker is his fantasia, is his imagination. Um, some of the flavors we saw, was, what was one of Spider Man's cheesecake? Yeah. I mean, um, it's good that he's. Po- violet potato, his violet potato with flavor. Ice cream rather than bags of his own blood i guess um that's that's a good thing i think overall in all seriousness um it's a story with a bit of a happy ending in the sense that people saw this well what they they thought and probably rightly defined a bit of a desperado and who represented the worst of the worst in terms of doping and in terms of moral transgression of that particular era and there were all sorts of gloomy predictions about his future and um you know he seems he seems to have sort of carved out a, a pretty respectable life for himself you know melissa told me that you know the one thing that's really saved him is that his family was always very humble his dad is uh, well, he restores antique furniture and they've really kept his feet on the ground and ball accounts he's, pre- he's pretty happy and he's doing you know he's doing just fine but not watching the Giro at all not really interested he does still go out on his bike every now and again but no that comeback will not be happening oh well do you know what tomorrow we're going to be talking about another famous i would say famous not infamous uh, Modena native uh, but that that's a, another a surprise. Another surprise. Great. Can't wait. Um, well, that's all for tonight. And uh, let's go and eat, Daniel, shall we? Let's do it. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. 
Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.